How are you doing? This is a short bonus recording that we lifted out of my conversation with Errol Alger. Here, you can listen to Errol offer some close readings of Henri Matisse's painting, The Red Studio, and Vincent van Gogh's very famous Starry Night. Errol sees The Red Studio as a hopeful work, but Starry Night as a crisis. Errol is a born storyteller, and there's great pleasure in listening to him recount what he sees in artwork. I also see this as a chance for Errol's knowledge and experience to not only enrich our knowledge, but also to showcase how and why he teaches students to look closely and deeply at art, and to understand that it has a deep interplay with the Creator's life and way of perceiving the world. The images he discusses are on our website for your reference. I hope you'll enjoy this insight and consider anew how you teach close analysis of what your students focus on in your classroom. One thing I really admire about Henri Matisse, I'll just call it Matisse, is that he was a big believer in the power of color and so much so that he saw the medicinal qualities in it and he would often before he himself became a patient an invalid and spent much time in the hospital he saw the power of healing in combinations of color and he would often paint something a window with uh, uh, flowers flower pots in a window and place it at the foot of his friend's bed, but firmly believing that this would speed the healing uh, for his friend, or it may have been a relative. But these are things that impressed me, that he really believed in what he did. He really considered his art. He. Um, in one painting, uh, which happens to be one of my favorite, it's called The Red Studio, and in it he is painting some of his own paintings. So he's bringing them together. It's his studio, but it's not the correct color. It's the color that was dictated to him, or the, the color that made itself necessary. And the way he described it is, I first paint one thing and then it's like I go around clockwise and I that the first thing dictates the color of the next thing which is not necessarily the original color of that painting that I did in a time past and then I do the next one and then I get back around to the first one and now it needs to be changed and I keep doing that I go around and around adjusting the color until it's just right one thing I admire about him is that he doesn't feel that he has to be conventional. He's a very unconventional artist. Uh, this particular painting, he doesn't even use the bristles of the brush for much of it. He turns the brush around and scrapes through the paint to show forms, um, revealing the bare canvas through the paint. And doing subtle things like leaving the hands off the grandfather clock and at one of his favorite chairs but it's empty pieces that become symbols with double meanings and I'm sure the painting means so much more to him than it could possibly mean to anyone else but uh, it's this man who said 
there are always flowers for those who want to see them. And as he's sitting here doing this painting, I imagine that he's thinking, and it's primarily red, the red studio, it's the pervasive color, and it's actually a shocking color. It's a, it's a color of warning. It's a color of blood. It's a color of harm. And yet in it, he has a quiet clock, a comfortable chair, a little plant that's striving to grow, and a record of his life over the course of his life through the many paintings. It's a collage of his life. And I'm sure as he painted it, he thought of his wife and his daughter who were taken by Nazi soldiers to a concentration camp. And the fact that his daughter struggled to return home and found a way to escape the camp um, and came back disheveled, but at least she came back. But his wife he never saw again. And then later experienced um, the, the devastating blow of abdominal cancer, uh, but yet his perseverance, his determination to keep on working, even with a hand that didn't want to cooperate, or the fact that his body could not, it was immobilized, but he just taped a pool stick to his hand and continued to draw from his bed uh, with a piece of chalk or something on the end of this, this pool stick. So the fact that he just wouldn't give up and that the need was so great within him, not just to communicate, but to serve other people. He was fully conscious of the fact that his paintings were not for himself. They were for others to enjoy. And, and that's what his motivation was. It was to serve. And that is one of the, the basic tenets of what I teach. I, I personally believe that a work of art is a better work of art if it serves, if it's a, a something that has been made to be given and enjoyed by others. And so they have done something that can affect change that can stimulate conversation. And, um, you know, again, that's power in their hands. It's, it's, uh, it enables them and equips them with a skill that they might not otherwise have ever known that they had or could enjoy. And if they can enjoy it within themselves, then they can enjoy it without. They can become more aware of what other people do and how they speak and how they communicate. It's a mute performance otherwise. It, you pass by things like a billboard. You pass by, you never look at it. It's a mute performance. But when you're at that stoplight one day and you have time to really look at it and read the message and relate to it in some way, suddenly now it, it, it means something. And it's, it's not mute anymore. You've heard, you've been on the other side of the conversation. There's always two people in a dialogue and a painting or a, a sculpture, a photograph. It's a dialogue taking place, but it's a soliloquy. It's, it's someone making a fool of themselves and just talking to themselves unless uh, and until we engage with it. 
And so one of the things that I can do as an art instructor is show them how to engage with a work of art, how to hear what the artist has to say to them. What are the clues? What are, what's the power of using line and color and shape and depth and texture? How are these important? Is it just a decoration? Is it just for some people? Or could it be possibly even a life or death situation for someone who has created a work of art that we're looking at? Could it be a cry of anguish as in the case of Vincent van Gogh, who used to lament in letters to his brother, when, when will I paint my starry night? And finally, when he found himself institutionalized, not by choice, but by force, by the, uh, the townspeople who put a petition together and decided that he should be committed and it was within that environment that he looked out a window and painted, finally, his starry night. But it's not meant to be a happy painting. He's painted himself, in my opinion, as this big dead tree. It's supposed to be a tree. It's a cypress tree. It's supposed to be a tree that represents life and connection from the physical to the eternal but he depicts himself as dead. And the cypress tree in his country was often planted at a grave when someone dies. So because of its position, we can imagine that he's looking at this village where the townspeople that put this petition together to put him in this hospital live. And he's looking at it from the vantage point of a graveyard, a cemetery. And then in the midst of this community is this church that he has overgrown. He has this oversized steeple. He wants us to see the comparison. He wants us to see the relationship between this big dead tree that is reaching upward and this big steeple that's reaching upward. But lights are on in the village houses all around. But in the church, it's a dark church. The lights are off. And I think what he's telling us is that the spirit is gone, the soul is gone. He's showing even the consternation, the disregard, the, the, the blame of his own father who was a pastor and as was his grandfather. And it was thought that he, the first son, should follow through and also be a pastor. And he did try. That was his, his first choice of a career but he was basically thrown out of seminary, which threw him into a depression. And it was his brother who suggested, well, why don't you paint the people that you long to minister to? And that's what he did. That's how he got his start. But going back to the starry night, he told his brother, really, it's a cry of anguish. And whether or not his life ended in suicide, as many people think. It was only a little over a year after painting that that he did, in fact, die. And one wonders if it wasn't a cry for help. And for those who can't read the message, did we let him down? Did someone let him down? Could it be a suicide note? And I think that my students need to hear things like that. And I tell them the honest truth. When I first saw this painting, I loved it for the color 
and for the life that I saw in it and to the joy. And I would often think, wouldn't that be a great place to sit in a swing and read a book and while I eat my lunch and just feel the breeze coming up from the village? But I was dead wrong. I was not hearing. I was not engaging with the artist. I didn't know what he was telling me. I think, though, uh, there's a song um, about it. It's just called Vincent. And, um, and I think the, the artist, the writer and performer of that song uh, from the 70s recognized was that Vincent van Gogh tried to say through that painting and uh, demonstrates for us a way that we can understand a work of art. So you've often offered us um, some close readings of paintings. So when you teach this kind of close reading skill to students, what does that give them? What does that offer students this ability that you're teaching to give a close reading to do some critical thinking? Let's say I've taught them, I've shown them how I read a particular work of art. Granted, they don't have to agree with my reading, and I can't necessarily support anywhere in writing that anyone particularly agrees with me. I'm not telling them something that I read somewhere. I'm telling them something I've observed. And through that, I'm modeling to them that you can do the same thing. 